0: This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio.
1: It's certainly not a typical dispute between neighbors about a fence or a dog crossing property lines. The feud between billionaire Bill Gross and tech entrepreneur Mark Taufik involves a private Kenny Loggins concert, a TV shoot for the HBO series Ballers, and a million-dollar glass sculpture. Today, Groves issued a public statement offering to end all hostilities with his Laguna Beach neighbor, but Taufik rejected the settlement, calling it a stunt to stem the tide of negative press. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Patricia Hurtado, who's covering the trial. Why is a neighbor's dispute in court and for so long?
2: Well, I think it has to do with the combination of the bad feelings between these two neighbors provoked Dueling harassment complaints, and as a result, it's because of the pandemic. It's taking so long, but it does seem to be taking extra long, even under the pandemic circumstances. So they're only doing one day of hearings, like a brief four hours or so of hearings every Monday. And then the judge in the case decided to sort of increase the number of days she sees them, but because of COVID, they'd have to take breaks. And there has to be social distancing. And so everything seems to take extra long under the circumstances.
1: I imagine that these are huge properties. Explain how the houses are situated.
2: These aren't like Greenwich, Connecticut or someplace on the Gold Coast in um, Long Island where you have massive property. These are adjoining giant beachfront houses. And um, they're not a beach shack these are very large. They're like thousands of square feet. They're built on a bluff overlooking and uh, a cliffside overlooking Laguna Beach, which used to be an artist colony for, you know, basically hippies and artists when I was growing up. And it has transformed into this extremely desirable space. It's beautiful with lots of cliffs and beachfront. And so lots of wealthy wealthy people have migrated there and built their wonderful homes but they're kind of cheek to jowl it's not as probably as tight as malibu if people have ever seen those malibu homes but um they're very massive houses adjacent to each other
1: it seems that at one point they were friendly so tell us about the kenny Loggins private concert (laughs)
2: Yeah, that was quite extraordinary. Having grown up with Kenny Loggins, it was quite something to hear that Bill Gross is so rich, and they are different from you and me, that he had uh, a private concert in his backyard, catered and everything with Kenny Loggins for his girlfriend's 50th birthday party. So this isn't just like, honey, I'm taking you to Acapulco. This is like, honey, I'm getting Kenny Loggins to play in my backyard for us. And uh, apparently what also started with this was for her birthday, he installed a million-dollar Dale Choluli glass sculpture that is about 20 feet long and 14 feet deep. So it, it might be the size of some studio apartment for a New Yorker, let's just say. And it's tall and it's glass. It's blown glass and they look like lots of little like organ pipes made out of glass with colors. And they were apparently very good friends. There's two different diametrically opposing stories of this relationship and how it soured. According to Mark Taufik. He's a tech entrepreneur who built his multi-million dollar mansion first on this cove. He built a beautiful dream house and worked from home. And he says that Bill Gross later bought the place next door and started renovating and had the sculpture and then had the Kenny Loggins concert and everything was great. And he let Kenny Loggins crew Run their gigantic cables past his through his property to their trucks, the generating trucks, and let them trample his plants. And he never complained, but even thanked. Bill Gross's girlfriend, and they had a text he read saying, you know, thank you for this. And she said, you're very welcome, smiley face emoji. But Gross says the bad blood between them started when Tofik had a TV show, HBO program called Ballers, which is about former NBA players. And they used Tofik's house as a, the scene and they filmed there for an entire week and jammed up the Coast Highway with the film crew trucks and disrupted their lives. The men have filed dueling harassment claims, which is what the judge has been hearing of who harassed who. And there's also they were seeking temporary restraining orders against each other. Stay away from me. No, you stay away from me. Bill Gross says that he has been stalked by TOFIC. Who is tech obsessed is the basic implications through the testimony and the allegations of all these cameras everywhere, including a camera that spied on him that was posted on a palm tree, a real live palm tree. Here's a camera on the palm tree, which Bill Gross says that Tofik is been ogling him and his girlfriend when they dress scantily in the pool.
1: So Tofik actually complains to the city about that million dollar glass sculpture. And then he says that Bill Gross engaged in hours of sonic abuse with music blaring from Gross's home, including the theme songs from shows like Gilligan's Island and MASH.
2: Yeah, so Tofik called the police and Laguna Beach police officers have come to say testify that yes, I did respond to the scene. I was at the address of Tofik's home. I arrived at 1130. Uh, yes, I did hear Gilligan's Island playing. So Tofik says he was told or instructed or advised by the police to record these so that we have heard over and over again multiple tapes. And we have heard the sitcom introduction tunes to theme songs from MASH, Green Acres, Gilligan's Island, and all kinds of stuff. And then you also didn't heard hip hop. And we heard Carly Jepsons Call Me. So he made, he made these tapes and he recorded them, including, he, he says in the background, you could see Bill Gross and his girlfriend Sashane and dancing on their balcony nearby. And then he saw them giving him the finger. The officer said a couple of times that the music has been very, very loud, and he said it was ear-splitting. And he he says he has ultra-thick windows because he wanted to necessarily not have to hear the noise of the Pacific Coast Highway, which is adjacent to the house, you know, the front of the house. And he has uh, thick cement walls, and yet the music was coming from next door with the speakers from outdoors were pointed at his house. So um, Tofik says it all started when he complained to the city of Laguna Beach about suddenly, out of the blue, it looked like a giant soccer net was put over the sculpture that's lit up at night. So imagine that something looks like a Christmas display or, you know, like a church organ made of glass that's illuminated at night and it's you know, blue and white and all different colors. And then it's got a big giant white net over it. Now, Tofik complained, he says, about the unsightly, not the sculpture per se, he loves art, but that he complained about the unsightly netting. Gross complained that the netting was fine, but what ends up happening is Tofik wins a city ordinance. He has the city come out, looks at Gross's sculpture, and then finds... Growth in failed to comply to zoning regulations when he had that installed. You can imagine someone might be annoyed that if you spent a million dollars installing art and then somehow it got broken and then you put net over it, but suddenly the city says that's not okay. And that's when TOFIC says the abuse started. At one point, a police officer says she arrived uh, one morning and she heard very loud. Spanish music and then they, they asked her to be more clear explaining what kind of music and she said she could hear very loud mariachi music playing at, instead of Gilligan's Island and she said it was louder than the, the Pacific Coast highway traffic on a Saturday if you can imagine you know it's very loud highway traffic as well it was louder than the ocean roar. So now the, the testimony is, is coming on to this week, we're hearing more from uh, the property manager, who's a Latino. He has testified that he liked to play what has been called Spanish music when he was working. Mm-hmm. And that he was given a decibel meter reader by the by Gross and Schwartz to use it and to test whether his music was playing was too loud for anyone to have to hear. And this would happen when Gross and his girlfriend weren't at the property.
1: So Gross has been fined. Is he supposed to remove that sculpture? Well, it
2: seems like everything is kind of in hold. It sounded from the testimony of the zoning guy that came to testify, the sculpture wasn't necessarily the problem. What was a problem may have been that the netting was not in compliance with local ordinances, its height and, and distance you know, the size and its height and its location. So he was supposed to remove it. Now, Bill Gross's people have testified that it was only put up on windy days to keep palm fronds from falling down and possibly breaking the sculpture. So what this has been is a judge has been asked to kind of, she's kind of trying to be a disciplinarian of two middle school boys who can't get along. (laughs) And she's being asked, to basically decide two dueling harassment allegations against each other. So we've heard from Tofik, he spent multiple days on the stand. And, of course, this is going at an excruciatingly slow pace because of the breaks they've been taking, and they can only have a hearing one day a week. And we expect to also hear from Amy Schwartz, uh, Bill Gross's girlfriend, who's a former model and professional tennis player, and then we're going to also hear from Bill Gross.
1: You're right, that you can sense the animosity between these two now and that that has even been demonstrated in the courtroom.
2: Yeah, the first day Tofik was supposed to take the stand, you can imagine that they have plastic shields around the, witness, the judge and the witness box. And the courtroom seating is limited to the parties only and a, a film crew, and one, I guess, one media representative. And I know the first day of the trial, Inside Edition got the prize seat of being the pool or the only camera allowed in the courtroom. And so TOFIC takes the stand to testify at the dueling harassment hearing. And suddenly you heard, uh, and then someone said, Mr. Mr. Gross, where are you going? And then Gross said, I can't hear him. And someone said, it must be because he's mumbling. And so they were arguing, immediately bickering. And um, the judge was asking them not to speak to each other. And then so Gross planted himself, as you can imagine. They're supposed to be socially distanced. And he sat in the jury box. He said he was hard of hearing and he couldn't hear. So he sat in the seat number two, second seat next to the witness uh, box in the jury box. There's no jury, of course. And then Tofik complained that he didn't like Gross sitting so close to him, so he that he should move. And then there was the discussion back and forth, where could he sit? And then Gross said he couldn't sit, so maybe he would stand throughout the entire hearing. And then he said his hearing aid was breaking because he couldn't hear. And then the judge asked him to raise the volume in his hearing aid and suddenly hear that, you know, that very painful screeching noise when someone's hearing aid has back play on on a speaker and then the judge said, That was painful for all of us. Please turn that down and change seats, Mr. Gross. So, this has been quite interesting to Mr. Gross, of course, is a very wealthy man. And he promises to bring basically his side of the story includes Tofik's former neighbor, the guy he bought the house from, and you know, all kinds of experts to say that, the, that anything that Tofik recorded on his iPhone has been distorted because iPhones are not giving an actual audio volume. It's kind of crazy. It, well, the amount of money that
1: he must be spending on legal fees and experts and investigators, it's probably off the charts. But what is Groz's current complaint against Tofik?
2: He's Tophik. saying that Mark Tofik has a stalker. Essentially, as his lawyer said, he's essentially a stalker uh, engage, essentially engaging in stalking practices she, he, that he has been following uh, gross and his girlfriend with his camera, that he's surreptitiously filming him, uh, that this is that he also alleges so you know we have the Laguna Beach police come in and testify about the noise complaints they constantly had to respond to, and they basically. Affirm or confirm elements of Tofik's story. There's music playing, it's late, it's late at night, and their position, it is very loud. He's complaining that Tofik is obsessed and has weaponized. If he got the police to testify to confirm his version of the story, it's because he's weaponized the Laguna Beach Police Department in his, in his favor. And I guess that one thing is that we're all sitting weathering under very bad, terrible news about, you know, tragic news about the pandemic. A lot of people are kind of asking, what's going on and why are we in court? So so the decision here is up to the judge, no jury. It's a judicial hearing, and, and it's a Superior Court, Orange County Superior Court. She said she wants to finish this hearing by December 15th, and she's going to uh, issue her own findings. Uh, so she's being asked to consider dueling harassment claims. And then there's also a slew of other lawsuits that have been our corollary suits and uh, complaints they filed on a variety of different method, measures, you know, so she seems to be dealing specifically with the harassment claims. It's unclear, you know, everybody's got deep pockets on this story. So, this litigation and all its corollary you know, allegations and complaints will probably proceed into 2021. Thanks for being on the Bloomberg Law Show, Pat. That's Patricia
1: Hurtado, Bloomberg Legal Reporter. President Trump canceled the DACA program soon after he took office, and DACA has been caught in legal battles ever since, battles that went up to the Supreme Court. Now a Brooklyn federal judge has ruled that the Trump administration must fully restore the so-called Dreamers program that protects undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. as children. My guest is Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. To set this up, go back to June when the Supreme Court blocked Trump from ending DACA.
0: In June, what the Supreme Court did was they issued a decision about the legality of the process chosen by the Trump administration to rescind the DACA program. And what they said was that the process that the Trump administration used to rescind the DACA program was unlawful because it did not sufficiently explain the rationale for revoking the program and did not sufficiently take into account different interests that were in place in terms of reliance interests, and in terms of winding down the program and the relevant time frame for doing so. And so because the Trump administration had failed to do that, the revocation of the DACA program was arbitrary and capricious. So then the question became, what could the administration do next about the DACA program? And that is when the acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, issued a memorandum saying, that what he would do while he was weighing the future of the DACA program was to allow people to extend their DACA status by one year increment and not allow any new people to apply for DACA. And so that was the current state of affairs before this weekend when a judge ruled that that memorandum was no longer valid.
1: Tell us why the judge ruled that the memorandum wasn't valid.
0: So what the judge in the New York case, which is a case called Bataya Vidal versus Chad Wolf, held, was that Chad Wolf, who is the acting secretary of Homeland Security, isn't actually a validly appointed acting secretary of Homeland Security. Chad Wolf was confirmed to be an assistant secretary for policy and was appointed via a series of memorandums to be the acting Secretary of Homeland Security. But what the judge ruled was that that series of memoranda was flawed, not just for Chad Wolf, but also even for Kevin McAleenan, who was the acting Secretary of Homeland Security before Chad Wolf, and that the last actual valid person who's the Secretary of Homeland Security was Kirsten Nielsen was confirmed by the Senate, and that since she drafted a memo about who goes next in the succession plan, that memo was never followed, such that there is currently no legitimate person that can be appointed as acting Secretary of Homeland Security, because there's no one who can actually do that anymore, because the process was fractured, such that the only way to remedy this is for the Senate to confirm a new Secretary of Homeland Security.
1: The judge also told the department to put out a notice so that new DACA applicants could start applying?
0: Correct. So one of the main features of the decision of this district court judge was not only that the district court judge restored the DACA program to what it was in its entirety under the Obama administration, But basically said, I don't want any delay whatsoever in the implementation of this, because his concern was that the administration would slow walk this and not actually implement the decision. And so he wanted immediate reporting on the fact that applications would be immediately accepted beginning on December 7th. And he wanted statistics after that about how many people were applying, how many people were being approved, how many people were being rejected.
1: DHS says it's going to appeal the decision. How long might that appeal take? Is there any way the appeal could be finished before Trump leaves office?
0: So there's two issues, and both are important. The first issue is whether they will be able to get a say on the decision requiring the DACA applications to move forward. If they don't, then they're going to have to be accepting these applications immediately, or they will be subject to consent of court. But the larger issue is they need to appeal this decision about whether Chad Wolf is a legitimate Secretary of Homeland Security, because if he isn't, that doesn't just affect DACA, that affects everything that he's done as Secretary of Homeland Security, and potentially everything that Kevin McAleenan has done as Secretary of Homeland Security. And so because of that, They need to appeal this, and it's an interesting question as to whether they will get a decision in time before the end of the Trump administration, and if they don't get such a decision in time from the Supreme Court, or at least from the Second Circuit that tells them, hey, it's okay, there was a legitimate appointment here, if they don't fix that part, it will be very interesting to see what a Biden administration does as to whether it continues to try to defend. Other actions reached by Chad Wolf or whether it's basically jettisons every single thing that Chad Wolf did as Secretary of Homeland Security and maybe even that Kevin McAleenan did as Secretary of Homeland Security and basically says the last two years were a wash and nothing happened and any policy that was there is invalid. And we only returned to whatever the policies were at the end of the Kirsten Nielsen homeland security tenure.
1: This is just one case. There are also challenges to DACA in other states. Texas is challenging DACA, and a judge there could rule that it's illegal. What happens then if, if a judge in Texas says DACA is illegal and you have this decision by a Brooklyn judge?
0: So that is a separate and completely distinct but equally important challenge, which is there has been this bucket of lawsuits, which are the ones that reached the Supreme Court, on the manner in which DACA was revoked, and all of those have failed to reach the fundamental issue of whether DACA was lawful to begin with or should be ended just because it's an unlawful program. We have not had that adjudication. And that's the litigation that's happening in Texas right now. And the thought process is, because the composition of the Supreme Court has changed since the last DACA decision, where Justice Ginsburg has been replaced by Justice Cody Barrett, there is a significant possibility that if that case gets to the Supreme Court, the entire DACA program would be invalidated for the same reason that when President Obama tried a larger program called DAFA, which was for undocumented parents of U.S. citizens, that program was invalidated because it was viewed as, A, procedurally incorrect because it did not use notice and comment rulemaking under the Administrative Procedure Act, but B, it also violated the Immigration and Nationality Act because there are provisions in the Immigration and Nationality Act which require the Secretary of Homeland Security to place undocumented individuals in removal proceedings when they come across undocumented individuals, not to give them work permits. And so the idea is you could do that on an individual basis, but once you do it on a programmatic basis, you're violating the law. And so that's the two theories that are going to be litigated as the Biden administration seeks to restore DACA.
1: That's right. Joe Biden has pledged to restore DACA within 100 days of his taking office. But his restoration, that would just mean
0: an executive order. Correct. He would simply say that the Obama administration policy is restored in its entirety and applications begin in earnest again. Now, the only question is, uh, President Biden is getting a lot of pressure to change the date of eligibility. Because under the current DACA program, you had to be eligible because you arrived before 2007. So that's a long time ago. That's now 13 years ago. He may get some pressure to move up that date. Uh, and if he does do that, that makes it easier to challenge in court. Because now there will be people who did not have, quote unquote, the reliance interest on DACA that the current people in the program have.
1: It seems like DACA recipients have never really been able to feel safe because ever since the beginning there have been legal problems with
0: DACA. That is absolutely correct. Since the beginning of DACA there have been legal challenges. There was an illegal there was a legal challenge originally in the Fifth Circuit by ICE agents and there the legality of the program was not ruled upon because at that time, the Fifth Circuit held that the ICE agents did not have standing to challenge the DACA program, so there was never a ruling on that. But what happened after the Obama administration expanded the DACA program to become DAPA, to include parents of U.S. citizens, then the state attorney generals sued, as opposed to ICE agents, and because the state attorney generals sued, Then the courts ruled that those state attorney generals did have standing because the issue was that DACA recipients were able to get driver's licenses in those states and that that gave the state standing, whereas the ICE agents never had standing. So we've never been able to confront once and for all the legality of DACA, meaning since 2012. People in the program have always been worried that it would be held to be illegal. And as such, they could have their status stripped away. And so that's why it's ultimately important either for Congress to pass lasting relief or for the Biden administration to use a different form of relief to help the DACA students. And that's why I've been one of the people advocating for something called temporary protective status for not just DACA folks, but for everyone, under the COVID rubric and saying that at least for the next 18 months, don't deport any non-criminals anywhere until we vaccinate everybody and get everything under control with COVID, such that we can actually have a functioning immigration system again where people can go to court and actually have real hearings and not die in detention facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't know if that idea is going to get traction, but that's one of the ideas that they're considering in the Biden administration. So, I mean, theoretically,
1: what could happen is if that Texas case goes up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court could say that DACA is illegal, and then the Biden administration would have to come up with some other kind of rubric to help dreamers.
0: Correct. If the Supreme Court holds, that the DACA program is illegal for the same reasons that it had held, that the DAPA program was illegal. Now, it didn't write a decision. It just affirmed the Texas decision back then. It was a 4-4 split that just affirmed the Texas decision without a written opinion. But if it holds that it's illegal for the same reason, then the Biden administration will actually have to come up with a new administrative way to try to protect DACA recipients. And I think that way would be temporary protection status. They could potentially also just tell people, apply for something called a humanitarian parole, and we're not going to put any criteria in it. And that way, because it's the insertion of criteria that makes the program illegal. But if it's a one-by-one decision, it's legal. And so they could just tell people, we can't give you any guarantee that it'll be granted, and we can't lay out any criteria for how it will be granted, but if you apply, maybe you'll get this humanitarian parole, and that would be another way to try to take care of this population.
1: Thanks, Leon. That's Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Please tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio.